Let me read to you Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The kingdom of God operates on the basis of spiritual laws. These principles work in the spirit, spiritual realm the same way the laws of nature work in the natural realm. Now, laws are no respecter of persons. They work for everyone and at all times. For example, gravity does not care what you wore this morning. Gravity does not care what village you came from. And gravity never takes a break. It never goes on a holiday. And the same thing is true concerning spiritual laws. These biblical principles help us to understand why things happen. See, there's no sense in you just wandering around saying, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord. When you get to heaven, it won't matter. You need to know now. You need to know now why things are not working for you properly or why now your prayers are not being answered, you see. And if we will order our lives according to these spiritual principles Life will be better for us, and we will experience more of God's grace. And you definitely can experience more of God's grace. And one spiritual rule, one spiritual law, which we must recognize and understand is the law of sowing and reaping. What does this mean? It simply means that for every choice we make, there will be a consequence. For every action, a reaction. For every resolution, a result. If you do good things, good things will come back to you. Conversely, bad actions produce bad fruit. And this principle is found throughout the scriptures. I mean, we could begin in Genesis and go all the way to the end of the Bible, and it's there if you look for it. For example, in Luke chapter 6, verse 37 and 38, Jesus said, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. So that means how we treat other people determines how we in turn will be treated. I don't like the way people are treating me. All right, then now you know what you need to do. I don't appreciate the way my family treats me. So now you know what you need to do. Amen? Sowing and reaping. Our relationships are governed by the law of sowing and reaping. Amen? Hallelujah. So if you sow kindness, you reap kindness. If you offer help, 
you will receive help. If you give your time to others, others will give their time to you. But if you're too busy for others, others will be too busy for you. If you show patience, patience will be shown to you. If you want to be forgiven, you must be forgiving. Amen. Hallelujah. And of course, I, you know this, and I don't need to spend too much time on this fact, but there is no biblical prosperity apart from the law of sowing and reaping. Now, that's not all that you need to know concerning biblical prosperity, financial material increase. There's more that you need to know. Faith and wisdom are the two other main pillars. But certainly, this is one of the main things, sowing and reaping. For example, and I won't spend too much time, but then again, the way some of you are looking at me, I should spend a little time. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, one translation says this, The generous soul will be made rich. The word soul means person. The generous person will be made rich, and he who waters will be watered also himself. So that tells me this. Listen carefully. The reason Christians struggle financially is not because of money that they do not have. It's because of money they do have, which they should have given away. Let me try that again. The reason Christians struggle, one of the main reasons Christians struggle financially, is not because of money that they do not have. It's because of the money they do have, which they shouldn't have, because they should have sown or given that money away. Are you listening to me? Now, in our family, Pastor Jeppy is affectionately known as the money magnet. I'm just going to say this. I'm, I'm, it's my turn to preach. You know, someone else can say something when it's their turn. But she's the money magnet. And I mean, it's amazing to all of us you know, myself included, how that people will just spontaneously walk. And I'm not saying this psychologically to kind of play with your head or something like that. I'm just telling you that it's amazing. People will just walk up to her and give her money. I mean, we were in an airport. This was a few years ago. We were in a busy airport waiting for our flight in America. And we happened to meet a minister friend of ours. We were so surprised to see him, you know. He was traveling to a meeting. And so we just chatted briefly, you know. And then he looked down at Pastor Jeppy's shoes. And in a tone of disapproval, he said, where'd you get those shoes? You know, he didn't like the shoes. And before Jeppy could answer, this man reached in his pocket and pulled out $500, which is about 35,000 rupees, and said, here, you know, go buy some new shoes. And then he said, okay, see y'all. And I thought, like, hey, brother. <laughs> but he, he's gone. <laughs> and, and things like that happen to her all the time. It's true, isn't it? Look, look, she's nodding her head, or she's... <laughs> 
or she's asleep. No, she's not in her head. <laughs> Things like that happen to her all the time. But here's the secret. She lives to give. She lives to give. In other words, her giving doesn't stop, doesn't begin and end with a Sunday morning service. Oh, yeah, of course, but she gives all the time. In fact, I'll just say this, you know, if you give her something, there's a good chance she'll give it to somebody else. She just, she just gives. So uh, one Sunday, several years ago, after the service, uh, people are milling about, mixing about in the foyer. And I spotted my wife talking with a group of women. So I kind of snuck up behind her. You know, and I put my arms around her from the backside and squeezed her real tight. But when that woman turned around, it wasn't my wife. It was some other woman. And fortunately, she said, oh, praise the Lord, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but all the other women in the group were like shocked. So then I had to think fast. So I kind of gave them all a little hug, you know, kind of. That little, little kind of just, you know. And then I looked right across the way and I saw a pair of eyes. Her other nickname is KGBCIA. That's her. <laughs> and I thought, oh, brother. Uh, I'm not even going to get any lunch today. That's for sure. You know? But she said, no, I understand. Because that woman was wearing her dress. Because she had given her is it a new dress or I, guess, I don't know. I don't know if she bought it or somebody gave it or what, but was wearing her dress. So she said, I understand. I gave that woman my dress. And I was like, oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> what I mean to say, though, is she's a giver. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, we know this scripture. Most of us do. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, remember this. Now, some people remember this except on Sunday. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, let me ask you a question. What if one church member asked the staff, maybe some of the church members, to go to his kiddie field, his farm, to pray that God would give him an abundant harvest this season? And so we prayed earnestly, oh, Lord, bless this field. Just cause a great harvest to come. Maybe to really, you know, cement it. We did a Jericho march, you know, around his, his plot of land. Praised God, claimed the promises. Then afterward, I say to the church member, by the way, what did you plant this season? What did you plant? And he says, oh, nothing. That's why I called you all to pray. Okay, we don't need to pray for the ground. We need to lay hands on your empty head. Because you cannot reap where you do not sow. And I don't care how many elders and deacons pray. That's not going to change anything, right? So when Christians say to me, brother, pray for my finances. In my mind, I'm thinking, well, what did you plant? And if they say... Nothing, that's why I'm asking you to pray. I'm going to a nice way say, I have to go eat my lunch. You're wasting my time. And in fact, you're wasting your time. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus never prayed for money. And neither did anybody in the book of Acts. Think about that. Hallelujah. Amen. If you sow cucumber seeds, you don't reap tomatoes. If you plant apple seeds, you don't grow grapes. So if you need money, you can't just sow prayers. It takes poisa, taka. Amen. Well, I'm just going to give my time. Well, that's good, but you get time back, but you need money. Amen. But Brother John, you don't understand. I don't have anything to give. Really? 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10 says that God supplies seed to the sower. Yes, but I don't have any seed. That's because you're not a sower. You're an eater, but you're not a sower. If you'd be a giver, then God would give. Oh, our dear friend Mark Hankins said, if you get addicted to giving, God will support your habit. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, folks, we've already taken up the offering. We're not going to take up another one this morning. So everybody take a deep breath and relax. In fact, I purposely took up the offering first so that you wouldn't just glare at me all morning. If I want people to glare at me, I'll go home. I don't have to come to church. <laughs> Amen. All right. But it's not only important what you give, but how you give. Now, see, some Christians seem to think that 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, whoever sows stingily will reap abundantly. I don't say that. Generosity. Let me say this. Most Christians are not as generous as they think. I'm very generous. If you ask them, oh, yes, I am very generous. Every, uh, at least three times a year, I give an offering in the church like... Last, I think last time I gave over 100 rupees. I mean, I'm very generous. Generosity is not the amount you give. It's the amount, the amount you give compared to what you could give. Generosity is not measured by the amount you give, but by the amount you didn't give. The widow gave only one coin, but it was all she had. And Jesus took note of it. Hallelujah. Oh, we better change the subject. Okay, I'll do that. But the principle of sowing and reaping extends to every area of our lives. For example, Ephesians chapter 6 encourages servants to be faithful, diligent, hardworking, earnest, sincere. But that, that actually would apply to all of us. All, that us, all of us who are here, because everyone is called to serve in some way. On the job, in the home, in the church, in the community. Every, Bob Dylan says everybody's got to serve somebody, and that's true. Huh? Everybody has to serve somebody. Amen. So that means what, what is written in Ephesians 6 applies to us. And verse 8, Ephesians 6, verse 8, explains to us why we should be sincere, why we should be diligent, why we should be hardworking, why we should be honest in serving. Verse 8 says, knowing, 
So you got to know something. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. What you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. Now, some Christians will argue, "Ah, but I was so nice to this person. I was so kind to him, but he didn't do anything for me. But again, notice that verse. It says he will receive back from the Lord. See, the blessing may not come from that person. In fact, it probably won't. But God will make sure it comes back to you somehow. It may likely come from some way you didn't expect. But God will make sure because it's a divine spiritual law. Whatever good you make happen for somebody else, God will make sure good comes back to you. Can I get a real amen? Brother John. You just don't understand. This is India. This is Nagaland. And the whole system is corrupt. You can't be nice and honest and hardworking. People just take advantage of you. They'll just cheat you. So, I mean, you know, that doesn't work here. Once again, notice the last part of this verse, verse 8. Whether he is a bondservant or free. The Greek word for bondservant, doulos, actually means slave. They had slavery in that day. They had slavery. They're in the Roman Empire. So that means even if a man is a slave, if he lived in a socioeconomic system where he is considered another man's property, even still, this law will work for him. I said, even if he's a slave, according to this scripture, this, this principle will still work for him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because spiritual laws prevail over natural laws. God's economy is stronger than man's. Hallelujah. Heaven and earth shall pass away, Jesus said, but my words will never pass away. It doesn't matter. God didn't ask you where you came from. God didn't ask you what country you're from. God didn't ask you what your community is like. That doesn't change his truth. And if you believe the word of God, his truth will change your situation, change your circumstances. Hallelujah. Now, not so much here, you know, like in, in India, that type of thing. But I often hear people in other places in the world refer to this principle as karma. And when something bad happens, they say, oh, that, that, that's karma. But this is incorrect. Listen carefully. This is incorrect. Karma is not a Christian concept. Karma says you are in a low position in society Because you have lived bad in a previous life. Karma is based on the idea of reincarnation. And it is the basis for the caste system and the justification for discrimination and oppression of the poor. The Bible does not teach reincarnation. And by the way, there's no proof that anyone has ever been reincarnated, ever, just because someone says, I feel that I've been here in a previous life. No court of law would accept that as 
proof or evidence. That's just somebody's imagination. But we do have proof of the resurrection because one man has been resurrected. Hallelujah. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed for a man to die once. Not over and over and over again. Once. And after that comes judgment. Also, sowing and reaping is not karma because sowing and reaping affects you in this life. It affects you now in this lifetime. Notice again, Galatians 6, 7 begins by saying, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And the fact is this. Let's just be honest. Many times we ourselves think that we can sow bad seed and get a good harvest, and it doesn't work that way. Amen? That's true. It's interesting. This verse is in the book of Galatians. No other book in the New Testament emphasizes grace as much as this book, the book of Galatians. And yet here he talks about sowing and reaping because grace is not a license to sin. Some people in Paul's day twisted his message. They distorted the truth. For example, in Romans chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, And why not do evil that good may come? And then he says this, As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. In other words, Some people were telling others, Paul says, do evil so that good can come. And Paul makes it clear, I have never said that we should sin so that we can experience God's grace. And people who think this way are in serious error. Amen? We're free from sin, not free to sin. Amen? So again, notice, it's, it's a little quiet in here. Notice Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. Galatians 6, 8. We read verse 7, verse 8 says, For the one who sows to the flesh, his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, to sow to the flesh doesn't mean that you plant seeds in your body. Somehow I'm planting seeds. That is, that's not what it means. It means to choose to fulfill the sinful desires of the fallen human nature, the carnal, fleshly nature. To sow to the Spirit means doing what your spirit by the Holy Spirit wants to do. In fact, it's all, this is all part of one passage. If you back up to Galatians 5, 17, he says this, For the desires, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, the spirit desires, in other words, what is contrary to the flesh. So here's the deal. If you are born again, part of you is pulling one way, and another part is going the opposite direction. And every Christian has that conflict. I said every Christian has that conflict. Why? Your body is not yet redeemed. How many of you, when you got born again, you said, oh, Jesus, come into my heart, be my Savior. And when you opened your eyes, suddenly your ethnicity had changed. 
Suddenly you were taller, your hair color changed, your nose shape changed. No, you got the same body you always had. It's the man on the inside that becomes a new creation. God put his life and nature in your spirit, not in your flesh. One day you'll have a new body, but that day isn't here yet. That's why you are conflicted. That's why we experience this conflict. And I think in the church world, I'm speaking in general terms, in the church world, we often have the wrong focus. I think we have traditionally emphasized telling Christians what they ought to do. You ought to pray. You should read your Bible. You should go to church. You should give, etc. When we should emphasize walking in the Spirit. Why is it that Christians don't pray? Because the flesh don't want to pray. Why is it Christians don't go to church? Because the flesh doesn't want to go to church. Why is it Christians are not generous? Because the flesh is stingy. The main problem is the flesh. Amen. So when you let that inward nature in your heart by the Holy Spirit dominate your outward carnal nature, you will be in the will of God. Hallelujah. And if we satisfy the sinful desires of the flesh, he says the result will be, this is what we will reap, Corruption, and that word means ruin and decay. But if we satisfy the desires of the spirit, the result will be eternal life. Wait a minute. Every child of God already has eternal life. Yes, you're right. But you can have more life. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life, that's not all, and have it more abundantly. Just if you're saved, you have eternal life, but you may not have it more abundantly. The Amplified Bible says, have it till it overflows. It's not God's will that you only be saved. It's God's will that you be full of his life. Amen? Hallelujah. So that means, listen carefully, the choices we make not only affect our outward circumstances, but our inward condition. The choices we make in life not only affect our outward circumstances. I do good, good, comes, good things happen. I do bad, bad things happen. But more importantly... It affects our inward condition. That's the reason why it's so important that we sow good seed. Because what happens in a man is much more important than what happens to a man. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. So here's the thing. The difficulty with the law of sowing and reaping is the time factor. That's the problem, the time factor. A man will reap what he sows, but not necessarily right away. Just like in a farm, you plant seeds. Well, you don't, you don't get a crop 10 minutes later. It takes, there's some time. So the man who was sowing good seed, because the results are delayed, it takes some time, he may be tempted to quit thinking, this is not working. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving people, I'm, I'm being generous, I'm being kind, I'm helping people, and I, I don't see anything coming back. 
I'm giving, but nothing's coming back to me. So they think, ah, it's not working because of the time factor. Likewise, the man who's sowing bad seed says, it doesn't make any difference what I do. So he's emboldened to keep on sowing bad seed. But he said, do not be mocked. You can't fool God. You can only fool yourself. Hallelujah. But that's why, look, notice this verse, Galatians 6, 9. The next verse says this. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not be weary. That's a good verse for this church. Let us let's not be weary in doing good. For we will reap in due season if we don't give up. Now, notice those words, due season. What does that mean? That means it's coming. It's coming. But have you noticed that due season is always longer than you want to wait? That means you got a harvest, but if you quit now, you may not be there when it's time to reap. You have to keep on going. Don't be weary. Hallelujah. Why would you be weary? Well, I don't see any results. I'm praying, I don't see any results. You know, I'm serving, I'm not getting any blessings. I, I'm doing the right things. I'm living for God, but no, I still have all these troubles. Don't be weary. Keep on going. Keep on sowing and water those seeds. Why? Because it's coming. Your harvest is coming. Why? It's a spiritual law. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, 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 now. At this point, maybe you're thinking this. Man, I've sown a lot of bad seed. Man, I mean, as a Christian, I've sown a lot of bad seed. Oh, boy. Have I ruined my life? Is there any hope for me? Yes, there's great hope for you. Let me explain something to you. Let me go back to my analogy concerning the laws of nature. The law of gravity pulls everything to the ground, right? If I drop it, it goes down. So how do airplanes fly? I said, how do airplanes fly? They do, don't they? There is another dynamic force which counters the pull of gravity. It's called the law of lift. As the air is flowing over the wing, it lifts up that aircraft. Likewise, there is another law which counters the law of sowing and reaping. If you have sown bad seed, the power of mercy can give you a crop failure. (laughs) I said, if you have sown bad seed, The power of God's mercy can give you a crop failure. Hallelujah. Listen, first of all, there's forgiveness. If God is willing to forgive the lost who come to him through Jesus, why would he be unwilling to forgive his own child who comes to him for cleansing? And 1 John 2, 1 says that Jesus is our advocate with the Father. What's he doing at the Father's right hand? 
just enjoying the scenery? No. He's there to represent us and plead our case before the high court of heaven. Um, sometimes in the evening when I'm eating my dinner, I like to watch old television programs. This is one of those illustrations that I'm afraid is not relatable to anybody, but I'll give it anyways. But back in the 1950s, I wasn't there then, but in the 1950s, there was a TV program in America called Perry Mason. He's an attorney. You know, in each episode, he, and a, he, it's about a case that he handles, and he always wins. Perry Mason never loses a case. Jesus is better than Perry Mason. Jesus never loses a case. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. From the bench, the judge will say, these are the, these are the, these are the, uh, the, the allegations against you. What do you plead? Guilty or not guilty? And I know I've done it. I know I've done it. The devil, the prosecuting attorney, is just lamblasting me. He's got the evidence. He's got the pictures. He's got the memories. He's got, he's got all the proof. He wants, to, he wants to condemn me. And I look to my advocate, my lawyer, my counselor, and I say, what should I plead? And he holds out one nail-pierced hand and another nail-pierced hand and says, son, plead the blood. Plead the blood. And I say to the father, I plead the blood. And he says, case dismissed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. And... What God has forgiven, he has completely eradicated from his mind. How do you know that? The Bible. Hebrews 8.12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. We're talking about mercy now. Merciful toward their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. He has Holy Ghost amnesia. Hallelujah. The problem is not that God keeps remembering your past sins. The problem is that you won't let go of it. And you keep reminding God. It's in poor taste to remind God something he has chosen to forget. Hallelujah. Amen. And his mercy restores. His mercy restores. Not just forgiveness. Okay, you're forgiven. Okay, let's forget it. But there's restoration in God's mercy. How do you know that? Have you never read the story of the prodigal son? Have you never read the story of the prodigal son? A man in wild, loose living returns home to his father's house. A broken man. No money. No friends. May even be sick. Messed up. And his loving father greets him. And quickly says to the servants in Luke 15, 22, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And bring a ring on his hand. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. The father immediately began restoring everything that was lost. This is a picture of... Of God's mercy. This is a picture of God's mercy. I don't know, that thrills me. Here comes this fellow, he smells like pigs, he's dirty, he's broken, his, maybe he's, he's, he's all messed up. And the father says, not just bring a robe, 
go in my closet and take out one of my old robes that I don't wear anymore, you know, one of the old styles from 1970. No, he says, bring the best, the best that I have, and put it on him. And I like it. They said, quickly. He didn't say, okay, I'm, I'm, you're here now, but I'm going to watch you for a while. Okay, I'm going to be watching you. Maybe after three or four years, if you behave yourself, I might give you an old T-shirt. No, no, no. Quickly, right now. Come on, right now. Instant restoration. Put shoes on his feet. Hallelujah. Now, now, now if I was the loving father in this story, I wouldn't tell my servants and put a ring on his finger. That wouldn't be the first thing to come to mind. Put a ring on his finger. Because we just think jewelry. But in their day, that was a signet ring. A signet ring was a ring, but it, it had an emblem, a design, which represented the family, the household. And what it is is when they would go to the market to buy things, they would take that signet ring and they would press it into maybe like a wax uh, a tablet or something like that or, or, or make an impression, you know. And that was, that was what they used to buy things on credit instead of carrying money around with you. So basically what he said is, put some new Nikes on him, and by the way, bring the Visa card and give it to him. <laughs> bring the MasterCard, bring the American Express, bring the credit cards and give it to him, because now he can go into town and buy whatever he needs to buy. That's God's mercy. That's a picture of God's mercy in our life. Hallelujah. Amen. And my, so, so that fellow sowed a lot of bad seed. But he was forgiven and restored. In Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Don't turn there. By the time you find it, I'll be having my lunch. But in Micah chapter 7 and verse 18, it says, God delights to show mercy. He delights. See, that means you don't have to talk him into it. Like he's there begrudgingly. Well, okay, here you go. Here's a little mercy. He wants to do it. Get out of here. He wants to do it. Amen. Hallelujah. So the other day, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to make a confession right now. The other day, my secretary calls me up in the office and says, would you like some ice cream? <laughs> and I said, yes. And immediately she came in with a big ice cream cone from Baskin Robbins. I didn't even win the door prize, but she came in with a big ice cream cone. And she said, here you go. And I said, that was fast. She said, I already bought it for you. And I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just give it to you. And I said, what would you do if I had said, no, I don't want it? She said, I would have eaten it myself. <laughs> but I didn't begrudgingly take it. Well, you know, all right, I'll eat your ice cream cone. No, I was really happy. I, just, I, I delight in eating ice cream. You can tell. I delight in eating ice cream. God delights and showing mercy. That's like eating ice cream for him. He loves that more than your favorite flavor. Hallelujah. Amen. He delight. Oh, I love to show ice cream. Uh, not ice cream. I love to show mercy. Sorry. I love to show mercy. <laughs> what am I thinking? All right. Stay, stay on focus now. Stay focused. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, God is rich in mercy. Whew. He's rich in mercy. So, you know, Elon Musk what is he worth right now? Uh, 247 billion, give or take a few billion. What's a few billion among friends, right? There's 247 billion. 
So he could spend a million dollars every day for years and years and years and years and still have plenty of money. God is rich in mercy. You're not going to exhaust his mercy. I don't care if you fall in a hundred times, he's got plenty more mercy. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we should have a casual attitude towards sin, but I am magnifying the mercies of God. Hallelujah. And even if you fall and over and over again, he's still got plenty of mercy. You're not going to outspend God's mercy. Hallelujah. Okay, but how do I obtain mercy? Well, notice this scripture, Hebrews 4.16. Let me read the whole verse here. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. What is that? Let us draw near with confidence. Let Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. What is that talking about? Prayer. That's the only way you're going to go to the throne of grace. Your, your spirit's not going to leave your body and go up to heaven for a few minutes and come back down to Dimapur. This is talking about prayer. So that means you have to come, you have to ask for it. Mercy is provided and mercy's available, but you have to ask for it. You got to come for it. So when you mess up, fess up, and don't run from God, run to God. Hallelujah. Then maybe one more scripture. Well, not exactly, but almost one more scripture. James chapter 2, verse 13 says this For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment is without mercy. To the one who has shown no mercy. So what does that mean? Be merciful to others. Show mercy to others. Why? Because one day you're going to need it. One day you're going to need it. Hallelujah. So what does that mean? It means sow seeds of mercy. And you'll have a harvest of mercy. So I've sown a lot of bad seed. What can I do? Start sowing some good seed. Start showing, sowing some good seed. What is it that you need? I need mercy. Show mercy to others. What is it that I need? I need some understanding. Then show understanding to others. I need someone to listen to me. Then listen to somebody else. Start sowing that good seed now. Hallelujah. Mercy triumphs over judgment. One translation says mercy overrules judgment. The power, the force of God's mercy counters the force that's pulling you down if you've done wrong. It, over, it overcomes the power, the law of sowing and reaping. Hallelujah. Amen. Of course, it's better to sow good seed and not need mercy. You don't want to just every day be a prodigal son. You want to stay in the Father's house. Hallelujah. But mercy's available. One last scripture I'm going to read, and I promise, I promise right now, because I ran out of scriptures. Uh, Galatians <laughs> chapter 6, verse 10. Just the very next verse in the passage. So then, here in conclusion, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. What does that mean? To your fellow believer. As you have an opportunity... Let's sow good seed. Let's do something good for someone else. Why? Because my due season is coming. 
I'm telling you right now, there's some folks here, I feel like you are weary. I feel like you are discouraged. I feel like you've been been faithful, you've been hanging in there, but I'm just waiting. I'm telling you, I just feel it. Your due season is coming. Your due season is coming. If you won't faint, just keep on going. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm telling you, God's mercy is so much bigger than your mess-ups. And I'm thankful. I can testify to you. I I wish I could stand here and tell you that I've always done everything right. I've never failed. I've never floundered. But that that would be a lie. But I can testify to this. God's been merciful to me. I remember years ago there was a situation that happened in our church. And I can't go into the details. But there was a lot of money that was stolen and so forth and so on. And. I was very hurt by that, and we were all upset by that. And God spoke to me and said, forgive that person. And I I said, no. (laughs) I said, I'm not going to do that. Maybe maybe in 10 years, but not right today. He He said again, forgive that person. And then he said to my heart, I was standing right about there when it happened. We were all shaking hands or something. He said, in my heart, I forgave you. I forgave you. Hallelujah. And that, that, that broke it. I said, oh, yes, that's right. He forgave me. There's a great debt that we could never pay. And Jesus canceled that debt. So what is some small debt between our friend and our family compared to what he's done for us? That small change. Amen. I want you to stand with me to your feet today. Hallelujah.